0: Greetings students, this is Mr. Shovlin with you for your podcast recording, read aloud from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1846 through 1876, on sin and mercy. Beginning here at paragraph 1846, mercy and sin. The gospel is the revelation in Jesus Christ of God's mercy to sinners. The angel announced to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. The same is true of the Eucharist, the sacrament of redemption. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. God created us without us, but he did not will to save us without us. To receive his mercy, we must admit our faults. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As St. Paul affirms, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. But to do its work, grace must uncover sin so as to convert our hearts and bestow on us righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Like a physician or doctor who probes the wound before treating it, God, by his word and by his spirit, casts a living light on sin. Conversion requires convincing of sin. It includes the interior judgment of conscience, and this being a proof of action of the spirit of truth in man's inmost being becomes at the same time the start of a new grant of grace and love, receiving the Holy Spirit. Thus, in this convincing concerning sin, we discover a double gift, the gift of truth of conscience and the gift of certainty of redemption. The spirit of truth is the counselor. The definition of sin. Sin is an offense against reason, truth, and right conscience. It is a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. It wounds the nature of man and injures human solidarity. It has been defined as an utterance, a deed, or a desire contrary to the eternal law. Sin is an offense against God. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Sin sets itself against God's love for us and turns our hearts away from it. Like the first sin. It is disobedience, a revolt against God through the will to become like God's, knowing and determining good and evil. Sin is thus love of oneself, even to contempt of God. In this proud self-exaltation, sin is diametrically opposed to the obedience of Jesus, which achieves our salvation. It is precisely in the Passion, when the mercy of Christ is about to vanquish it, that sin most clearly manifests its violence and its many forms, unbelief, murderous hatred, shunning and mockery by the leaders of the people, Pilate's cowardice and the cruelty of the soldiers, Judas' betrayal so bitter to Jesus, Peter's denial and the disciples' flight. However, at the very hour of darkness, the hour of the prince of this world, the sacrifice of Christ secretly becomes the source from which, all, from which the forgiveness of our sins will pour forth inexhaustibly. The Different Kinds of Sins There are a great many kinds of sins. Scripture provides several lists of them. The letter to the Galatians from St. Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruits of the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh are plain, fornication impurity licentiousness idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy anger selfishness dissension factions envy drunkenness carousing and the like i warn you as i warned you before that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of god sins can be distinguished according to their objects as can every human act or accordingly to the virtue according to the virtues they oppose by access or defect or according to the commandments they violate. They can also be classed according to whether they concern God, neighbor, or oneself. They can be divided into spiritual or carnal sins, or again as sins in thought, word, deed, or omission. The root of sin is in the heart of man. In his free will, according to the teaching of the Lord, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false false witness, slander. These are what defile a man, but in the heart also resides charity, the source of the good and pure works, which sin wounds. The gravity of sin, mortal and venial sin. Sins are rightly evaluated according to their gravity. The distinction between mortal and venial sin already evident in scripture became part of the tradition of the church. It is corroborated by human experience. Mortal sin destroys charity in the heart of a man and by by grave by a grave violation of God's law, it turns man away from God, who is his ultimate end in his beatitude by preferring an inferior good to him. Venial sin allows charity to subsist or exist, even though it offends and wounds it. Mortal sin by attacking the vital principle within us that is charity necessitates a new initiative of God's mercy and a conversion of heart which is normally accomplished within the setting of the sacrament of reconciliation when the will sets itself when the will sets itself upon something that is of its nature incompatible with the charity that orients man toward his ultimate end then the sin is mortal by its very object whether it contradicts the love of God, such as blasphemy or perjury, or the love of neighbor, such as homicide or adultery. But when the sinner's will is set upon something that of its nature involves a disorder, but is not opposed to love of God and of neighbor, such as thoughtless chatter or a moderate laughter and the like, such sins are venial. For a sin to be mortal, three conditions must together be met. Mortal sin is sin whose object is grave matter, and which is, also, which is also committed with full knowledge and deliberate consent. Grave matter is specified by the Ten Commandments, corresponding to the answer of Jesus to the rich young man. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. The gravity of sins is more or less great. Murder is graver than theft. One must also take into account who is wronged. Violence against parents in it is itself is in itself greater than violence graver than violence against a stranger. Mortal sin requires full knowledge and complete consent. It presupposes knowledge of the sinful character of an act and its opposition to God's law. It also implies a consent sufficiently deliberate to be personal to be a personal choice. Feigned ignorance, hardness of heart do not diminish but rather increase the voluntary character of a sin. Intent unintentional ignorance can diminish or even remove the imputability of a great of, offense, but no one is deemed to be ignorant of the principles of the moral law which are written in the conscience of every man. The promptings of feelings and passions can also diminish the voluntary or free character of the offense, as can external pressures Or pathological disorders or addictions sin committed through malice by deliberate choice of evil is the greatest mortal sin is a radical possibility of human freedom as is love itself it results in the loss of charity and the privation of sanctifying grace that is the state of grace if it is not redeemed by repentance and God's forgiveness it causes exclusion from Christ's kingdom and the eternal death of hell for our freedom has the power to make choices forever with no turning back however although we can lose excuse me although we can judge that an act is in and of itself a grave offense we must entrust the judgment of persons to the justice and mercy of god one commits venial sin when in a less serious matter he does not observe the standard prescribed by the moral law or when he disobeys the moral law in a grave matter but without full knowledge or com- without complete consent. Venial sin weakens charity. It manifests disordered affection for created goods. It impedes the soul's progress in the exercise of the virtues and the practice of the moral good. It merits temporal punishment. Deliberate and unrepented venial sin disposes us little by little to commit mortal sin. However, venial sin does not break the covenant with God. With God's grace, it is humanly repairable. Venial sin does not deprive the sinner of sanctifying grace, friendship with God, charity, and consequently eternal happiness. When he is in the flesh, man cannot help but have at least some light sins. But do not despise these sins which we, which we call light. If you take them for light when you weigh them, tremble when you count them. A number of light objects makes, makes a great mass, a number of drops in the river. A number of grains makes excuse me a number of drops fills a river a number of grains makes a heap what then is our hope above all confession therefore i tell you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men but the blasphemy against the holy spirit will not be forgiven there are no limits to the mercy of god but anyone who deliberately refuses to accept his mercy by repenting rejects the forgiveness of his sins and the salvation offered by the holy spirit Such hardness of heart can lead to final impenitence and eternal loss. The proliferation of sin. Sin creates proclivity to sin. It engenders vice by repetition of the same acts. This results in perverse inclinations which cloud conscience and corrupt the concrete judgment of good and evil. Thus, sin tends to reproduce itself and reinforce itself, but it cannot destroy the moral sense at its root vices can be classified according to the virtues they oppose and also linked to the capital sins which Christian experience has distinguished, distinguished following St. John Cassian and St. Gregory the Great. They are called capital because they engender other sins, other vices. They are pride, avarice, envy, wrath, lust, gluttony, and sloth or acadia. The catechetical tradition also recalls that there are sins that cry to heaven The blood of Abel, the sin of the Sodomites, the cry of people oppressed in Egypt, the cry of the foreigner, the widow and the orphan, injustice to the wage earner. Sin is a personal act. Moreover, we have a responsibility for the sins committed by others when we cooperate in them, them, by participating directly or voluntarily in them, by ordering, advising, praising or approving them by not disclosing or not hindering them when we have an obligation to do so, by protecting evildoers. Thus, sin makes men accomplices of one another and causes concupiscence, violence, and injustice to reign among them. Sins give rise to social situations and institutions that are contrary to the divine goodness. Structures of sin are the expression and effect of personal sins. They lead their victims to do evil in their turn. In an analogous sense, they constitute a social sin. God has consigned all men to disobedience, that he might have mercy upon all. Sin is an utterance, a deed, or desire contrary to the eternal law. It is an offense against God. It raises, rises up against God in a disobedience contrary to the obedience of Christ sin is an act contrary to reason it wounds man's nature and injures human solidarity the root of all sin lies in man's hearts is lies in man's heart the kinds and the gravity of sin are determined principally by their objects to choose deliberately that is both knowing it and willing it something gravely contrary to the divine law divine law and the ultimate end of man is to commit a mortal sin. This destroys in us the clarity without which eternal beatitude is impossible. Unrepented, it brings eternal death. Venial sin constitutes a moral disorder that is repairable by charity, which allows it to subsist in us. The repetition of sins, even venial ones, engenders vices, among which are the capital sins.